Welcome to the Unstoppable Grit Podcast, where we dive into the mindset shifts and practical tools to help you break through the roadblocks standing between you and achieving your goals. I'm your host, Danielle Kobo, a former Fortune 500 senior sales manager who spent 15 years in the medical device industry and now the best-selling author of the book, Unstoppable Grit. Think of this podcast as your go-to source for career advice and burnout prevention strategies to help you build a career and life you love. Now let's get started. Hey, beautiful. Welcome to Dream Job with Danielle Kobo podcast. I am Danielle Kobo, elite career coach, and I believe every woman has the power to step into their dream job, earn the salary they are worth, and live the life they desire. Each week you join me, you're going to hear from inspiring women who have overcome adversity and leveled up their career. You're going to learn how to eliminate that inner critic that is holding you back from pursuing your dream how to build confidence, create healthy boundaries to transition burnout to re-energize, and gain clarity on how to accelerate your career. It's never too late to pursue your dream job. The time is now. Are you ready? Hey, everyone. I am excited to introduce our next guest. Our next guest is Michelle Dickinson. And she is a well-being strategist, and she creates psychological resiliency in organizations and in the workplace. She is a TED Talk speaker. She is a published author with Breaking Into My Life, and she is the former director of regulatory quality at Johnson & Johnson. I've had the pleasure of being on her podcast, and talking about what it was like to be raised by a mother with bipolar disorder and the mental health around that. And now she is joining us on the Dream Job with Danielle Kobo podcast to talk about psychological resiliency. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. So I have a, a big question and I'm sure my listeners do as well. What is psychological resiliency? Girl, right now, we, yeah, we are all navigating this pandemic. And so I, I, I think you would agree with me that it has been an exhausting process to navigate this. And so when you think about resiliency, it's all in the face of the impact that this pandemic has had on us uh, mentally, emotionally, um, the amount of loss. So what we need more than ever is to get a handle on what it is we can do to feel better and recenter mm -hmm. ourselves. So, so basically it's recentering ourselves and pulling back in our power to really take care of our well-being uh, daily, not just periodically, but daily. And what, what does it mean? So I, I, you and I always talk about, you know, when you're on a plane and they tell you put the oxygen mask on first. And I'm a big believer of that because before you can be a, a friend, a mother, an employee, a spouse, you have to take care of yourself first. And there's it's very important to do that. So how can we take care of ourselves during such an interesting time within our lives with this pandemic? Yeah. You know, it comes down to remembering that uh, self-care is not 
selfish. We, we need, mm. we, we need to be, uh, reflecting on how we're doing every day. It's it, you know, I, I look at it as in the morning, when you wake up in the morning, I'm getting older now. So I'll tell one of myself, I oftentimes lay in bed and I, I feel the body parts that just don't feel really great. You know, maybe mm-hmm. work out the day before or some type of activity. And, uh, we do that body scan, but we don't, we don't stop and check in with how are we feeling mentally and emotionally? So, you know, what that really means is getting present to how you're doing every day so that mm-hmm. when you start feeling like you're not doing well, you can reach out to someone that you love and trust and just talk to them and hopefully be able to feel better so that you don't continue to feel bad. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point because I think the biggest challenge is sometimes identifying what that feeling is. So what that feeling is, whether it's anger or frustration or sadness or whatever that feeling is, and then trying to identify what triggered it too, because different things within our past or within our current life are going to trigger these emotions and then how to work through them is also another step itself. Exactly. But what happens is we're so busy caring for our, our loved ones and taking on our responsibilities that we get lost and we don't check in with ourselves. And before you know it, we're exploding and, and we're not happy with our reactions or we are overwhelmed or we're just sad or we're just totally depleted. So, you know, when it comes to resiliency, it's, it's a daily activity to just get present to how you're doing and make sure that you have tools and strategies and things you can do to uh, just sort of be tending the garden of your wellness. Yeah. You know, I remember this time a few weeks ago where I really try not to yell at my kids. I mean, I really try to actually get down on their level and look eye to eye with them. And I remember this time where I yelled at them in another way that I've never yelled at them before. I have, I have three and a half year old twins and they're in these like trying three-year-old age. And I remember going, this isn't who I am. This isn't who I want to be. And I had to take a step back and really realize what was triggering these first identify what was emotions, what was triggering them Mm -hmm. and then how I can move through them. And so I went back to a, I need to get back onto my Peloton. I need to work out and get some of that energy moving. I also went back to journaling every day and getting back in my faith with God and also leaning out to a friend and saying, I need some parenting advice. I need some help. And, um, it's, it's, amazing how powerful it is to just be able to talk through things with some friends. Yeah. We can't just keep going. You know, it's, it's one of these things where you can't, I know, you know, a lot, we live in a society where it's like, just, you know, press forward, keep going. You've got this tough it out. You're going to be fine. But I think that the reality is, is if we don't take care of ourselves every day, we, there's this compounding effect, right? Mm -hmm. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And that's why like, you know, I often talk to ladies and I say, you know, that one spa day that you do every six months is not going to unpack six months of stress and strain. So you really do need a daily practice to take care of yourself and then enjoy the spa day and not think it's going to solve everything that you've just built up over a six month window. So self-care is a daily, is a daily practice is what I preach. Absolutely. You know, my husband and I, we make a joke where we say, uh, you know, we, 
we're work all day. Then we, you know, put the kids to bed. And then there's this window of period right after the chaos. And I just tell my husband and he tells me, I want to sit 10 minutes, in my nothing box. And just to be present within our thoughts and just to be able to calm down a little bit before transitioning into being spouse mode, <laughs> you know, not mode, but just being, you know, a wife and a loving wife and him being a husband. And so just having that, like, I just need my nothing box to just be in the moment and think, you know, we, we all want to show up the best version of ourselves. And if we don't, if we don't make it a priority to get in what we know we need, then we do ourselves a disservice because then we beat ourselves up. Like, I'm not happy with how I reacted. I'm not happy with how I'm showing up in my relationships. I'm not happy with how I'm performing at work. All those things tend to happen if we're not, you know, really taking the time and, and doing the things that nourish us, doing the things that give us energy, that help us feel better physically, that help us feel better, um, you know, spiritually and emotionally. That it's just so important uh, to be the best version of ourselves and to really, you know, even a, even a simple gratitude practice or a breathing exercise or a 10 minute meditation um, or a run outside. These are all things that, that can literally just alter your state, your mood and, and return some of that joy back into your heart that, that you know, that you've just nourished yourself a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, deep breathing is something when I was overcoming postpartum, I really learned deep breathing and using that as a tool and technique to calm my body because there's times in our life, whether it's in our personal life or it's with our, our work life where we get anxious and we just have those anxious moments and learning to take three deep breaths is such a simple and powerful tool. Absolutely. Absolutely. I teach that in my uh, resilience course, we do the four, seven, eight breathing technique. And we also do a three minute meditation to just have people get a glimpse of a three minute meditation, the impact that three minutes can have on you. So the excuse of time and the excuse of, you know, oh, I can't meditate. Like you can, and you can realize the benefits from something as simple as a three minute meditation, or like you said, three deep breaths that can literally recenter you and have you able to focus and, and just feel better. You know, time is an interesting word mm -hmm. because a lot of times we say, I don't have time for it. Mm -hmm. And when I'm working with my clients, I talk about what's your priority yeah. because the reality is we have time to do a lot more than we think. It's a matter of what's a priority and shifting instead of saying, I don't have time saying it's not a priority. And so the other day, somebody asked, you know, my mother-in-law asked me, when are you going to clean your garage? It's a mess. And I said, it's not a priority of mine right now. It's not yeah. a priority. Yeah. And, and sometimes if you shift that time to priority, could you imagine if you said my health is not a priority? Right. shifting that I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to meditate for three minutes when really what you're telling yourself is I'm not making my, the mind and the clarity yeah. to, as a priority for three minutes. Right. Right. That's brutal, but that's exactly what you're saying by making the choices that you make every day. Yep. So mm -hmm. true. And shifting that word from not having time to what's a priority. Yeah. Because we could fill our day with busyness. 
Totally. Totally agree with that. Absolutely. You know, it is choices. I have this uh, piece where I talk about the importance of uh, structures and rituals and having a morning routine and having an evening routine and um, setting yourself up by having a plan, planning your work, working your plan, because at the end of the day, you know, if you plan your work, work your plan, and in, in that plan that you create for the day, you weave in self-care, your sense mm-hmm. of self, at, your sense of self at the end of the day that you accomplished what you said you were going to do and you cared for yourself is going to be pretty phenomenal. And when your sense of self is high, that gives you momentum for the next day. So it's really all, it's a win-win when you, when you set out to do what you're going to do and you take care of yourself so that you can accomplish that, then you just feel good. You know, at the end of the day, you're like, I did that. And I took care of myself. You know, I remember taking a course, um, in personal development and they were talking about making time for yourself and scheduling time for yourself. So I remember when I started to get back into my, my work my workout routine, and I knew that Mondays and Fridays. So when I was a, a manager for Allergan aesthetics, I remember Mondays and Fridays were always my toughest days because I was back to back conference calls. And so I learned to actually schedule time on my calendar in between some of the calls for clarity moments, Mm -hmm. moments where I was scheduling time with myself, one to eat lunch because (laughs) I wasn't so great at that. So one to eat lunch. And then the next time was to just give myself a moment to think and connect back within my mind and to just kind of like self-meditate. So that you're breaking up your day, but you need to schedule time with yourself every day, every day to, to either meditate or work out or to go for a walk and then time throughout your day to cl- take these clarity moments. Absolutely. I love that. I think that's so important. And I think if it doesn't get on my calendar, it doesn't happen. So I love this practice of scheduling time, but you got to own and respect your, your calendar once you do that, because we all know it's mm-hmm. good in theory, but you got to stick to it because the payoff is, is just, is just worth it. You know, I think a lot of us as busy people, we tend to put ourselves last. We put everybody else first. We put our loved ones, we put everything else first and we put ourselves last. But in reality, you can't pour from an empty cup. You have to nourish yourself. You have to take care of yourself. So I love that. Scheduling, I think is key when you are like, I have Mm -hmm. got to start doing better by me. You should schedule it because then you'll actually do it. (laughs) Yep. And the same technique goes to there was a book that I read about time management. And I remember they said, if a task takes more than five minutes, so if you get an email and that task to respond or whatever it is, takes more than five minutes, schedule it on your calendar. Mm. So then you're, you're making time for that time to respond to that email or to, to do the task that's being asked. Mm -hmm. If it takes less than five minutes, then actually do the task right away. And if you just leave it in your inbox, what happens is, is we'll probably touch that email three or four times before we do that. And then it's creating this burden of, Oh, I don't want to do that task. And so it talks about the five minute rule. I like it. I like it. I never heard that. I think for me, I'm always like, can I just get it done and get it off my plate? (laughs) (laughs) No, like one less thing. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, and you're getting it done because you're actually moving it to a time where you can actually put thought into it. And so sometimes, you know, you receive this email and you're going, wow, I really want to be present and to put some thought into whatever this person's asking. And if Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get it done to the next task, Mm -hmm. then I'm not really doing that person. I'm doing that person a disservice. And so I'll actually move it to a section on my calendar where I can block out some more time to actually put some thought into it. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Good stuff. So tell us a little bit about what are some of the types of programs that you support companies with to create this um, psychological resiliency? Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to uh, keeping employees happy and healthy in their life and at work, I mean, it comes down to let's just remind them of things they can be doing, just like we're talking about. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that this pandemic has highlighted is the need for more than just an 800 employee assistance line. Mm -hmm. It's really engaging with your people, checking on your people, and then equipping them to navigate this. You know, we've been navigating a lot of loss, a loss of loved ones, loss of routine. So what I do is I work with organizations to bolster um, this resilience through strategies and things that people can do daily. So it's getting them present to how they're doing, how they're feeling, having that become a normal dialogue for them with their, with, even within their families of how they're doing and giving them these daily activities that they can apply to their lives and start to feel better. It's reminding them of, you know, the social media and the media in general might be contributing to a depletion of their energy or their, their feelings of hope. So, um, so yeah, so I do, I have several different programs. I do, I have a COVID fatigue program. I have a resilience program, which is called protecting our happy. Um, goodness, I have an unblurring the lines program to help people create more balance because we're all working from home and, you know, wearing multiple hats within our family. So let's help employees get that balance back, create some structures and just be reminded of things that they can be doing to feel better. Because ultimately if we keep people happy and healthy, they're going to stay engaged and they're going to stay, you know, working, they're going to stay, you know, healthy at home and it's a win-win. And honestly, right now it's such a beautiful time for employers to really show up for people, uh, breed that loyalty and have them just feel like their, um, their needs are being heard and they're, they're being supported during one of the most challenging times of our lifetime. Absolutely. This is, I mean, the past year has been such a roller coaster of emotions from, you know, feeling like in the beginning where I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not traveling. So I'm going to go for walks every day. And then these decisions, do I send my kids to school or not? Do I, do my husband, I go out to dinner or not just because the risks and so many very impactful decisions we're having to make. And you make a really good point about checking in and checking in on your team. And that is such an important role of a leader to check in on your team. Now I want to take that a step further because who's checking in on the leaders. I remember when I was, when COVID was first happening as a leader, I was supporting my team and and helping them through this COVID. I didn't necessarily feel like I was being fulfilled and, and, and it was spiraling a little bit. And so what are, what are you seeing companies do to also support the leadership team? 
you know, it's so important, right? Culture shows up in moments like this. What kind of culture you have and, and, and are you, uh, is your organization a culture that is, that is always been one where they're looking out for each other and there's a sense of community. Um, I think it's such a great opportunity for people to be checking on each other, people to be checking on their subordinates, people to be checking on their superiors. Like, I mean, we're all at the end of the day, we're all human beings before mm -hmm. we are an employee number. So this goes back to the culture work that I do. Like, what are, what are we doing to show up as the caring human beings we are first and foremost, you know, and then the worker. So I think, um, you know, everyone, and that's one of the things I preach, don't assume the person next to you is doing okay. Like extend yourself and reach out to them because you might be the only person asking them how they're doing. And, and that could make all the difference. So, you know, it's, it is about checking in on one another, regardless of rank and just saying, mm -hmm. how are you doing? Because I know I had a bad day yesterday or, mm -hmm. you know, can you believe, you know, that this is going on? I'm frustrated. How are you? But it's just the connection. That's just so vital right now. Hey, it's Danielle Kobo and I'm jumping in real quick to thank you for listening to the dream job with Danielle Kobo podcast. If you're feeling undervalued, overwhelmed, want to gain clarity on how to level up in your career and are feeling discouraged and frustrated at applying to jobs online with no results, I can support you. I've had several clients who have attracted their dream job without applying online and have significantly increased their earnings. I can support you by creating a clear career plan, developing your brand and amplifying your leadership voice, connecting with my network of over 160 recruiters, excel through the interview process and negotiate your offer letter. I encourage you and invite you to go to my website, www.daniellecobo.com and schedule your free career discovery call. I believe everyone has the power to step into their dream job and earn the income they are worth. I look forward to connecting with you today. And you also added social media to this element because social media can create this false reality. Yes. And, you know, you see people, people only put the good on social media. They don't necessarily put the times where they're in their sweats crying because they're trying to make these very impactful decisions. And it can create this false sense of reality of everybody else is doing good. Why am I really struggling here? Right. And it's interesting when you, when companies create this environment where they allow people to share their struggles and to share just the everyday things that, that they're really struggling with, yeah. how it creates this closeness and this relationships amongst their teams that you, that are so powerful. So powerful. Like you can't, like, that's the most amazing thing about having a culture that is um, stigma-free, that is truly um, humanity shows up when we get to be our, our true and authentic selves. I love that. Um, I think it's so important. And, you know, the other thing that I do want people to remember is, you know, we were hearing when people were navigating this mid-pandemic, you know, oh, we're all in this same boat. We're all in the same boat. We're in this pandemic, you know, but we're not, we're actually in mm -hmm. the same ocean 
And we're all in very different boats because we all have past traumas and life experiences that are having this experience be very unique to us. So mm-hmm. stop comparing, you know, stop comparing on the illusion of the person next to you who seems to be okay. You have your own experience and it is uniquely you and, and there's nothing wrong with it. Like I, I want people to just, you know, receive permission to na- be navigating this to the best of their ability because their scenario and their past history is all contributing to how well they're doing. Yes. So you brought up an interesting word, stigma. And I think there's a lot of stigma around mental health. And a lot of people are really scared to talk about their mental health in the workplace because there's, they're scared that they're going to be viewed as weak. So talk to me a little bit about how you are trying to support conversations around mental health when there's a stigma associated to it. Yeah. And I, and it goes back to culture, right? There's so many, um, you know, you can't just go into a company and expect an employee to openly start talking about their, their mental health. You have to understand what is the environment of the organization? Is it, is it truly an inclusive organization for people with invisible disabilities, just like, like it is for people with you know, physical disabilities. So I always say like, what is the culture like? And are you a stand for inclusion? Are you a stand for authentic, um, authenticity in the workplace? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, are your policies in place that say we will be a stigma free organization and are your leaders talking about this? Is this something that they're talking about? You know, it's, it's so powerful what a senior leader can do just by simply, you know, sharing their own story. It's really Mm -hmm. that's the tone in the organization. If they are courageous enough to say, you know, there was a time in my life when I navigated severe anxiety. And then all of a sudden other people are talking about the fact that he had the courage to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, there's a dialogue happening, you know, uh, amongst several different groups, like that it's okay to acknowledge any type of mental health imbalance. So there's so many little things that we can do to be conditioning our cultures um, to be ready for these kinds of conversations. Um, but you can't expect an employee to just, you know, go first. That is a very scary thing to do. Mm-hmm. Unless the company is really promoting that they are really committed to their being inclusion for people of all abilities. Absolutely. And it really takes that one person to be courageous and say something. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was talking about my journey with IVF and overcoming postpartum depression and being a military spouse. And when you start to talk about things and you give people permission to open up, it's amazing the little mini support groups that you can create within an organization. I remember people would reach out to me that didn't necessarily, you know, in an organization where there's 1500 people, it's not that they necessarily knew me very well, but they see people sharing these stories on social media and you immediately connect with them just because you share the same story. So true. It's so true. And that was my experience when I gave my TED talk. People came out of the darkness and felt like they had permission to connect with me because they felt like someone understood their world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I always remind organizations that the most powerful asset you have are your people. And if you can have your people support your people, 
well, isn't that a beautiful thing? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when I was, when I was at J and J, I was part of the, the, um, the leadership team that built the first mental health employee resource group. And it's, it's like, no joke, build it and they will come. People were longing to connect with other people mm-hmm. who either had a loved one at home, had, had been trying to navigate their own scenario. And they just wanted that connection and that sense of community and sense of, of belonging with people who understood. So, I mean, it's really powerful, the sense of uh, storytelling and connection mm-hmm. just by, you know, common challenges, life challenges. There's a lot of organizations that are creating these women in leadership type groups. And imagine how powerful would it be if you've had somebody who's overcome something, whether it's overcoming postpartum, overcoming um, alcoholism, or anything along these like mental health related subjects. And how powerful would it be if you said, you know what, you have a story and you have overcome such a challenge, a, a moment in time within your life. Could you be a resource to others? And that is such a powerful option to have within these organizations if they let people open up and they create this safe environment for people to talk about mental health. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and, you know, I watched it unfold and I think, you know, it's, it was sort of like, get out of the way because the people have spoken, you know, and it, and that was really cool because there was just momentum. I mean, like there was the structure, but then you know, people were not feeling obligated to share, but they, they just were compelled to because mm-hmm. there was such a environment that really was, it lend itself well to people, you know, telling their stories and it, in an effort to help someone else. And that's, that's pretty remarkable, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's people out there, there's listeners out there that are saying, I have a story and it's, but they're scared to say it. Right. And, and the one advice that I would give to those people is when you share your story, you are actually serving yourself through the process, because when you share your story, it's a therapeutic, um, resource to provide yourself. So what advice would you give to somebody who is considering sharing their story, but they're scared to do it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, what is your intention with sharing your story? I think, um, like you said, like if your intention is, I don't want someone else to suffer what I suffered. And if I can help Mm -hmm. lighten the load for them, then that's a pretty big stand. I mean, I, I, I relate to this because I wrote my memoir and every time I went to write the memoir, it was heavy and it was hard and I just wanted to quit. But then what I wound up doing was I just, remembered what was at stake. And for me, what was at stake was if I could humanize mental health, then I could have other people understand what it is like to love someone and what it is like to struggle with a mental illness. And if, if that is present and I get to cause that, then that's what matters. So I would, Mm -hmm. I would always go back to why do you want to share it? Do you want to share it to help someone? Then if that's your stand that will pull you into action to tell the story and, and the fears go away because I will tell you that the people that reached out to me after I released my memoir, the few in the very, very beginning, they made the four years of writing that memoir worth it because it, because it resonated with them and they felt like understood um, and it was all worth it. So I will tell you like, do it because the, the difference that you can make is far beyond what you think. 
You're absolutely right. I remember listening to your TED talk and I've always struggled with how do I explain what it's like to be raised by a mother with bipolar disorder? And I remember watching your TED talk and going, oh my gosh, somebody else gets it. Somebody else gets what it's like to, to open up your front door and go, what am I going to walk into? Am I walking into my mom? Who's going to be happy and joyous? Or am I walking into my mom? Who's going to be depressed? Like you got it. And it was such a powerful message to, to know that somebody else can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, like if, if that story helped you feel gotten, Mm -hmm. I mean, oh Lord, there's so many people that live in this world feeling like they are the only ones that ever, ever navigated something horrible. And, and it's so alone. It makes you feel so isolated and alone, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, someone telling their story can, could really help one, if if it helps one person, you know, that's so Mm -hmm. worth it in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And if you are a leader out there, if you're in a leadership role and and you're listening to this podcast right now or or watching this on YouTube, I would encourage you set the stage, be the one that is going to encourage and open up that environment to talk about mental health in the workplace. Because when you do it, you're, you're leading by example and others will follow and people, your team will connect with you in new ways. And they'll, they'll look at you and go, Oh, this person is, is real. It's like a human. They're not just the, the leader that's leading from the top. There's an, an element to this person that's, that's human. And so if you're listening, I would encourage you to do that. Now, tell me, tell us a little bit. So the, so the listeners out there, you know, let's say they're not in a company right now that is, is, you know, having these programs, mm-hmm. what are some tools that you can provide them to help them navigate through this very interesting time within our life? Well, so it goes back to some of the things that we've already spoken about. It's, it's being courageous enough to get present to how you're doing emotionally on a a day-to-day basis. And you can go online and you can get, you know, like the, the scale of emotions so that you can look at that every morning and just say, all right, I'm at, I'm at this, I'm at this stage, I'm actually okay, or I'm not doing really well. And when you see that you're not doing really well, that's when you reach out and talk to someone. It could just be a best friend. It could be your mother. It could be, you know, someone you love and trust. So have the courage to be, get present to how you're doing daily and, and reach out if you feel like you're not doing well. Before it escalates, just nip it right in the butt. You know what I mean? Like, seriously. So then there's that. So getting enough sleep, it sounds so basic, but when we, um, the first, the first challenge I think for mental health imbalances is when we can't see straight because we're not getting enough sleep. So I would say making sleep hygiene a priority, getting enough sleep, setting up your room so that you have a good environment to get a restful sleep, Um, not ruminating about things when you're laying in bed at night, really instead thinking about instead of replaying your day and and beating yourself up for things you didn't do or you're upset about, try to lay in bed at night and and create your tomorrow, focus on tomorrow, focus on how am I going to create my tomorrow instead of beating yourself up. And that'll help you get a a really nice restful sleep because you're not going to be, um, you know, all consumed in things you can't change from the day. So that's important. I would also say a gratitude practice because you can't be fearful or angry when you're grateful. So whatever that looks like for you, for me, I wake up in the morning and instead of scrolling on social media, which doesn't feel very good, I go to my, my little journal on my phone called the five minute journal. 
And I go ahead and I log three things I'm grateful for, because if I can get present to things that are good in my life, then that starts my day off on the right foot. Mm -hmm. And you, you talk about creating this environment for, I love sleep hygiene. That's such an interesting way of saying it. So creating this environment for sleep hygiene. So my husband and I actually don't have a TV in our bedroom because we create this like sleep environment. Now, I know many people as well as myself really struggle with going to bed and looking at our phone and social media. And I know that when we do that, I know it's a horrible habit. Sometimes I'm good at it. And sometimes I'm not, I notice the nights that I do scroll through social media, my brain has a really hard time shutting off and really transitioning into that restful sleep very different than when I end my day reading my journal or my daily devotionals. Yes, exactly. And so how you end your day and how you start the, the the last 30 minutes, they say of your day, how important that is and how you cherish those moments and really creating an environment that's helping you transition into that restful sleep, as well as how you start your morning, not just going and grabbing the phone or grabbing your emails and getting overwhelmed at what you need to do that day. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that. Um, I absolutely love that you're, uh, you, you just, you gave a testimonial as to why you do what you do with the journal and, um, and, and how that made you feel. And I think that's what people need to just try it on. Just try it on, put your phone in another room, go to bed, you know, put, put your phone in another room, go to bed, maybe do your journal, maybe read something inspiring or enlightening. And then, and then just go to sleep and see, see mm-hmm. if there's a difference in how you feel versus, uh, are you anxious or did you not get a good rest night, you know, restful night's sleep? You know, these are all little things you can just try, just try it on and see if it, see how it makes you feel. And then if it, if it makes you feel different or better, there's your answer. Yep. And I take it even a step further too, in addition to putting your phone away. Um, so if you have a work phone and a personal phone, which I know some of people out there do, I would leave my work phone in my office after hours so that I wouldn't be tempted to look at it as well as when I'm with my kids, I try my best. And sometimes I'm good at it. Sometimes I'm not. I try my best to put my phone in the other room so that I'm not tempted to look at my phone when I'm with my kids, or even with, if you don't have kids out there, you know, whether you're with a friend or a family member to not be looking at your phone. Yeah. So you can be fully present. I think we live in such a distracted society, you know, like you've done it, you've seen, you've gone out to dinner and you've seen the couple at the table next to you Mm. both on their phone. And you're like, you're at a beautiful dinner. Like really, but you know, we've all been there and we, we can identify how bad it looks. Right. you're like, Mm -hmm. they're really disconnected, but then it's like, you really have to be conscious because this thing is like a dopamine hit. We have to, we have to realize that, that being truly present is so important. It's so important for those we love. It really does show a lot of uh, respect and and love when we can just Mm -hmm. be fully present. Yeah. I don't try to remember the study that I read, but there was a study that talked about the effects of when you are on the phone, what that message sends to the other person. And they said it's equivalent in the brain waves as to somebody slapping you in the face. Yeah. I don't doubt And it. I couldn't believe it. So if you sit there and somebody's on the other phone, or if you're, if you're on your phone while somebody's talking to you, you're basically slapping in the face and saying, you're not important. My phone is more important than you. And could you imagine how that feels to that other person? 
even if they don't say anything, right? Mm -hmm. That's how they're feeling. Yeah, we it it's like an exercise in reminding ourselves to be present in the moment mm-hmm. of where we are. Yep. And if you are that person on the other end, I if a, a tech and a technique and tool that I do um, is if if somebody is on their phone, I actually stop talking, and I wait until they look up and they say, "Oh, I can hear you," and I say, "And I appreciate that you can hear me." I'll go ahead and wait until you're done. And then you and I can continue to talk. So awesome. Well, tell us, uh, Michelle, where can my audience find you? Where can, you know, companies find you when it comes to the programs that you offer organizations, as well as my audience, where can they find you? Awesome. Thank you for asking. Um, so yeah, so you could go as easily to my website, careforyourpeople.com and, and mm-hmm. learn about why we should be doing more for our people now and how to reach out to me. Um, typically what I love to do is just share my story, right? It takes that one person going first. So like, I have no problem talking about my depression, my mother's depression, my Ted talk, my, my book. So I love to just kind of create the space of open dialogue around well-being and then, um, and then leave people empowered with my tools and techniques. So yeah, you can reach me at careforyourpeople.com. And where can my audience, I know we talked about your published author in your book. Tell us again what your book is and where people can find your book. Sure. It's called Breaking Into My Life and it's available on Amazon and on uh, barnesandnoble.com. Um, you can go there and you can even go to my website, uh, breakingintomylife.com for a free chapter of the book if you want to just kind of get a sense of what it's like. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wrote it over a four-year period. I, I poured my heart out because I want people to understand what it's like to love someone with a mental illness. I think that's the most important message, but it is ultimately a story of perseverance and triumph. Um, and just like you, how we've overcome mm-hmm. that hurdle of loving someone who was so sick mm-hmm. to go on and do and do other things in this world. And if you would have asked me even five years ago, if I would be an advocate for mental health in honor of my mother, I probably mm-hmm. would have laughed at you, but this is the path that I have, I have, uh, been led to. It's interesting. We, we both share that, you know, you are doing this in honor of your mother. And when people go to my website, um, www.danielle.com. If you look at the bottom, even though my mom and I struggled, she was a mother with bipolar disorder. I I dedicated my company to her because she taught me work ethic and drive and perseverance and passion. And so again, it's, it's you, even though they struggle with mental health, you're aware of it, but you still love them anyways. And they still inspire you to do great things in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And in the back of my book, I actually wrote an epilogue about how I can now see how her illness has served me in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that for people who've overcome living with, you know, and loving someone with some type of uh, challenge, you got to look for it. You got to do the healing, you got to do the work. And then once you do the work, you can actually reflect and say, it did serve me in some Mm -hmm. way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm really clear that my mother's illness has served me. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us. You are absolutely amazing and you have such a powerful message, not only to the listeners out there on tools and techniques to help them get through this interesting time of our life and also organizations that can really pour into their, their team and the culture 
and giving people permission to talk about their mental health and, and creating this environment of eliminating stigmas. So thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us and I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the unstoppable grit podcast with Danielle Cobo. If you found today's episode resonating and inspiring, kindly take a moment to craft a review. Your review holds the potential for Apple and Spotify to share the Unstoppable Grit podcast with others. Furthermore, consider extending the ripple effect by sharing this episode with those around you, family, friends, colleagues, and anyone who could benefit from the insights and stories shared here. Also, be sure to visit daniellecobo.com for more resources on cultivating resilience and unleashing your inner grit. We'll be back soon with another empowering episode. Until then, be unstoppable.